Welcome back to The Backmarkers, the F1 podcast for new fans by new fans. I am Mike Hurley and I am joined by my technical director, Austin Evans. <laughs> Sorry, I had to call in sick this week. I'm actually back at base. So you've got uh, my counterpart, Easton Evans. There was a weird Evans. like Instagram <laughs> drama about where's Bono, yeah, right? Yeah, was like, that was what, interesting. Was it like a FP1 or something where I was like, wait, that's not Bono's voice. Where did Bono mm-hmm. go? It's a conspiracy. But that was quite a good Austrian Grand Prix. Yep. Man, I want yep. to jinx this because obviously we've just, you know, we were about the halfway point of the season, but we've had some really solid races in a row and it's back yep. to back to back for the next few weeks. Well, we got a two week break. I mean, back to back to, to no. It uh, will be back to back after the break. Yes, that that's what I definitely meant to say. I, wait, yep. Uh, okay, well, I'll, I'll double check that. Anyway, I was definitely not planning on that. But uh, the French what, Grand Prix is a, is in two weeks' time. Gotcha. Okay, so we got a little bit of a gap, but yeah. we also had, I think, a pretty solid race. So just to recap, if you're Please. just joining, so we had the winner, uh, a one Charlie Leclerc, um, Verstappen P two, Lewis Hamilton. P3, really putting Mercedes kind of back on form. Going down the rest of the list, we've got George Russell with a pretty impressive recovery drive coming up to P4. Alcon P5. Mick Schumacher P6. Excuse me. I'm just going to say that one more time. Mick Schumacher P6 for Do you mean the unstoppable Mick Schumacher? Is that who you're talking about? Yes. The the Hulk in Haas clothing. Going down, uh, we've got Lando P7. Kevin Magnussen P8. So really strong showing from Haas across both drivers danny rick getting some t- pretty decent points with p9 and fernando alonso p10 although asterisk he's being investigated after the race for a potential unsafe release or unsafe uh re-entry or something something about they said a- unsafe release but i don't know what that is in reference to and nobody seems to know what that was in reference to so we'll see i mean honestly as well I, i'm not a hundred percent sure if everybody has uh taken all of their uh, penalties? <laughs> oh boy! Should we, do you want to give a? Should we give a little explainer quickly for us about track limits and the penalty system? Yeah, yeah. So there's been some drama, as there you know is in Formula One lately, about some of the stewarding issues and some of the the rules and how they're selectively enforced. So this year, it was pretty clearly said that hey. There's no questioning where the track limits are. It's the white line. If you're on the other side of the white line, you fully cross it or whatever the case is, then you are off the track and you are going to, you know, depending on whether it's, you know, qualifying or whatever, either you're going to lose your lap or if you do that enough times throughout the race, you'll get the black and white flag, which is your final warning. After that, you get a penalty. Now, this is traditionally pretty rare. Now, I'll say that the Red Bull ring is a little bit more of a track that, um, it's easy to just get a little bit off, as you saw many, many times throughout qualifying, a little bit in the sprint as well as in the race. But essentially, if you go over that mm-hmm. white line enough times, you will get a five-second penalty. Very rare to see in the race. However, we saw that for, I think it was three or four different drivers who got the penalty, and a lot more drivers got the warnings. So um, yeah. it's, it's rare to see. It's definitely rare to see. I was trying to note it down. I think five limit penalties were given to Gasly, Lando, and Zhaoguan Yu. They all got yes. given five second penalties for that. George got a five second penalty for something completely different, which we'll talk about in a bit, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, lots of penalties up and down the field today. And as I said, still potentially more to come 
uh, as we're reacting straight after the race. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But um, yeah, before we go into everything, this was a sprint weekend. So there was a lot of action Friday, which is always weird for me to get up on a Friday morning. I was literally driving to work, listening to qualifying on YouTube TV, which was a unique... I had it on during a meeting. I was in, Did you I really? was in a meeting. I was in a meeting. I was on a Zoom call and I had it in a window and... I'm have I'm like listening in and then got to see Lewis smash into the wall and I I assume I did this. <laughs> Just a little eyebrow raise, you know? Ooh. And then carried on with the meeting. And then continuing a little later on, then to watch George do it too. So And that's I don't when you know closed how, the race. You were like, I'm done, yeah, I'm done. Honestly, at that point I kind of stopped paying attention. Cause like then it was like I know where this is gonna go now, like yeah. for for qualifying, so I just let it roll off. <laughs> It was quite the qualifying. So, uh, unlike I feel like the last actually couple races, there was not really any rain involved, but it was an exciting qualifying. So both Mercedes not only didn't finish qualifying, but wiped out in Q3, which is unusual. I think it's more of a thing where it was just a little bit of some unluckiness, and it, to be fair, yep. it was very very windy. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the sprint I think is where things got a little bit more spicy. Now. Mike, we've had a number of sprints last year. I think this is mm-hmm. our second of this year. Mm-hmm. Every time I see a sprint, I go back and forth on it. This sprint, I was like, man, this could have just been in the race. Like, it was nice to see the some of the recovery. It was, yeah. it was boring. It was boring. Yeah, I, it was I was horrible. like, I was watching. I was like, yeah, yeah, Max is up there. Yeah. Good job. The only, so there were a few things that were interesting. There was the Ferraris were fighting each other. Mm-hmm. So, but that lasted for like three laps. Yeah. After like three or four laps, it was set. The, the the top three was set. Uh, Sergio did a it, Sergio stormed the sprint because yeah. he came right from the back because he got a penalty, another track limits penalty. Mm. So he got his time deleted in qualifying. So he got moved back. Yeah. Um, and then Mick Schumacher defending against Lewis Hamilton for a bunch of laps. That was it, really. Really, the to be honest, the only drama in the entire sprint was between the Husses and Lewis. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you. This was uneventful uh, as a sprint, but I still remain personally a proponent of uh, sprint weekends. Yeah, yeah. It's like one of those things where it's nice to have the jeopardy. It's nice to have things get a little bit mixed up from time to time. Mm -hmm. Um, I get the idea that you want to do sprints, potentially the more um, boring tracks, just to kind of spice those weekends up. And I will say... I do like watching a sprint more than watching like FP3 or something. Like I get yes. that. And it's nice also that they're giving more points, right? I do think it's yep. it's worth it for everyone to fight and just kind of hang out. But that being said, it was it was one of those things where after watching the sprint, I was a lot less excited for today's race because I was like, oh man, tr- DRS trains after DRS mm. trains. But mm-hmm. it really wasn't like that in the race. It was a lot more spicy. But man... Mick, I, I know we don't do like driver of the day or anything like that, but Mick was the most entertaining part of the entire weekend. That sprint, he was holding off Lewis hard. Like, yep. what has gotten into Mick Schumacher? I feel like we were just a few races ago talking about like, oh man, he's got to like pick this up. Gunther's mm-hmm. over here giving him an ultimatum. Like, hey, you got to like stop crashing, get some results. Suddenly he's come out of nowhere to get his first points and now getting really solid points almost in the sprint and certainly in the race. I feel like I can kind of try and piece this together. From, like, you know, like, so they were saying uh, on, on commentary that he seems more confident this weekend yeah. after um, scoring his first points last weekend. I would say that a combination of that, but moving backwards, the Haas is a much better car. 
this year. Like, and I think Kevin Magnussen has been putting in some great results and has, I think, been able to demonstrate exactly what is possible. And I wouldn't be surprised if that combination is really pushing Mick forward. Uh, and we're definitely seeing a good, a better, a better race, not just in points, but just in his general this weekend, his overall, I mean, and last weekend, right? Fighting Max the way he was like, yeah. I think we're seeing a different side to Mick Schumacher, which honestly I, I'm, I'm pretty excited about, I, you know, he is someone that I would love to see uh, just continue to improve if anything, just because of his family name. Well, of course. And it's like, he obviously had a great run through the junior formulas. And last year, like you said, was a complete just like, hey, this is how to be in a Grand Prix kind of thing. Like, Haas were so off the pace. Mazepin was hardly a great benchmark as a teammate. This year, it started a little rough because Magnuson came right out the gate absolutely storming. Mm -hmm. And he was doing okay here and there, but a lot of mistakes, a lot of crashes, a lot of obviously just bad luck on behalf of Haas, who have definitely seemed to have a faster car the results would indicate throughout most of this year mm -hmm. but it is just really heartening to see Mick really starting to deliver on that promise that sort of everyone kind of expected that he would have it has kind of taken a little while to come out but hey I mean he's out there scoring yep. big points and um yeah it's just it's not even just the fact that like you know anyone can have a lucky weekend or you know get a safety car or whatever but he especially yep. in this race and in the sprint yep. as well was showing real pace Holding mm -hmm. up Lewis, making passes. You know, there's that one moment I'm sure we'll talk about later where you know the five cars were all mixing it up. He mm -hmm. was right in there, even with some tire offsets. Like it's just really nice to see. And it goes to show, you know, like, you know, we've been down on a couple drivers, such as our, our buddy Danny Rick lately, but it it's all about that confidence. Like it really shows you that if you feel confident in the car, you know that you can stretch your limits out you can stretch the yep. car's limits out there's a lot more performance in there and you see that when you between like you know some of the number one number two drivers with the go look everyone starts with the same car in that morning but what you're able to get out of it is hugely dependent on what the driver has the confidence to try to pull out i think in general it's showing that house's bet that they made last year for this year is is paying off Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they, they they stopped work on their 2021 car earlier than anybody else to work on their 22 car and to put all their resources and time into that. And I think it's showing for them. I mean, obviously, they are they won the lottery when it comes to engine. Uh, well, yeah. asterisk. <laughs> uh, we could, we'll talk about the Ferrari engine later on. But the Ferrari engine is performing better than the Mercedes engine, you know, so... I know they didn't chop and change, but like when it looks at what's when you look at what is available this year, the Ferrari engine is, was clearly the one to to go with, um, and I think that their car is just pretty well developed, and I think it's showing. Uh, Magnussen is you know Magnussen is eleventh mm. uh, in the driver standings right now, which is unbelievable considering he is ahead of Ricardo. You know, both Astons. Yeah, they're doing. Haas is in, a, in yeah. a much, much better place. They're seventh. I'd lost track of that, uh, <laughs> but they're seventh in the constructors. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's definitely sort of now that we're roughly that halfway point of the year 
the order is becoming a little bit clearer because especially through that first six, seven, eight races, there's a lot of chaos or a lot of cars that seem more promising. But now that we've seen a really good spread of tracks and, and luck and stuff, it seems like obviously Aston are way off the pace. We've got Williams who, you know, maybe with Albon's car with the upgraded spec is a little bit quicker, but still not really there. Uh, Alpha Tauri seems like they're kind of a little bit in no man's land at the moment. But on the flip side, you see teams such as Alpine who have actually taken a major step who are really dicing it up with McLaren. You've got Tying. You know, Haas. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're tying for points right now. They're both on 81 in the constructors. And that's going to be a very fun battle to watch. But yeah, there's just... Just like sort of this race, the season has just had a lot of just sort of interesting bits and pieces. Like Mm -hmm. every time I sit down at six o'clock in the morning and think, oh man, this is looking like it's going to be a boring one. We get something like this where it was just action packed the whole way through. Uh, We got to give a, just a moment of silence for our buddy Checo. Um, That was a bold move of his, but uh, was it, was it first or second lap? It was very early in the race that he got tangled up. It was in the first or second lap. I I know, honestly, I felt pretty terrible about it because I, like Checo had such an incredible sprint race. Yeah. And I was looking forward today to seeing him have a good shot at winning. Honestly, I thought this, considering just how strong he looked in the sprint, I think he came from 13th to 4th. Uh, or fifth, something fifth, like that. I think, yeah. And you know, in in that in that kind of environment with like twenty laps, no pit stops, uh, you know, to be able to pull that off, I thought was really impressive. And I thought, oh, he's on the pace, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, so, yeah, I felt I felt I felt pretty gutted for him to be honest. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I I I know that George did end up picking up a five second penalty for mm-hmm. it. It's one of those things. I think it was fair enough. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. first lap racing hard, eh, a little bit more George's fault. I but, couldn't. Know, see that like you know like in looking at it i couldn't see like it was it was beyond my ability to be able to judge yeah. but as i said it's consistent with stuff they've given in the past and if anything we want from the judging and the rules is consistency and so if previous incidents like this have gone at a five second penalty then it should here too yeah. but i mean you know i will say if i mean if i could if we did do driver of the day i think i would give it to george russell today would he, you really yeah, I know what the reason is. Like, he twice came from the back of the pack, and, and yeah, I just sure, yeah. you know because he took he took more pit stops, right? I think he he did he an extra stop, yeah, and changed his wing and served the five second penalty to be able to finish fourth. I just thought that was really impressive, especially when he was complaining about the speed, which seemed odd to me. Yeah, because it's like George, I don't really like. Can you not see what you're doing? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I I was genuinely really impressed with with George today. I think it would be between George and Mick. I think if it, I think we should just start giving driver of the day because okay, I Mick, think we're, we're angling Mick towards then. that. I I, I, I gotta think give if it we to Mick. Were, and I think what might be a fun thing if we're going to do this, we have to decide together. Okay, right? I so we'll make it a bit different that way. And, and I would one hundred percent be comfortable going with Mick Schumacher. Like what? If, I feel he was awesome today. It was a phenomenal race. It was a phenomenal mm-hmm. race, but. On top of that, there were some great moments. So uh, we had Fernando, who was, again, really unlucky throughout the weekend. So he didn't even... So he had an issue in the sprint race. So he was not even able to start his car. So he was actually on the grid, tire blankets on. They couldn't get it to start. So he completely missed out on the sprint race. 
and started out with an interesting strategy, made a ton of progress throughout the race, but then he went from like hard tire to hard tire, so he was forced to take another pit stop. He had to do the double stop at the end because I guess, again, I, I, they didn't show it on the broadcast, but people are saying that he had to do two pit stops back-to-back because maybe he had like a loose wheel or something. Like, I feel for Fernando because he has been absolutely crushing it this season. He's been involved in so many of these great scraps, and then you see just so little reward coming out of that. I think he had a quote earlier this week saying like, oh, this is like my best season since 2012, and you know, I, I should have like 70 points right now. Might be a slight exaggeration, but there's no doubt that he has been driving at a far, far higher level than his results would suggest. I was I was tying up kind of like one of my favorite things for the race, but I wanted to kind of just talk about it in general. Fernando Alonso is having an incredible season. Like I am loving watching him right now uh, because he. This was like we were noticing this. I think uh, yeah, it was last week where like all of a sudden Alonso's here. Yeah, you know, like I feel like that keeps happening. It's just like, oh, I'm not really keeping track of him. And then all of a sudden, Fernando's in the mix. You know, he's currently sitting at 10 in the driver's standings right now. Uh, and honestly, like if, but if you look at uh, his performance, he has scored his points, basically all of them, in the last five races. Mm, yeah. yeah. So, it's- you know, he keeps, he keeps pushing and pushing and pushing. And the last five or six races, that's where he's consistently scoring something. Yeah, no, it's been terrific. Like, it is good to see him, like, you know, there's all this talk. Like, oh, he's the most experienced driver on the grid and all this kind of stuff. And sure, absolutely. If I was, you know, 40 or however old he is, I don't think I'd be able to be out there with all these 20-year-old dudes. But I'll tell you, he has not lost a ounce of sharpness no. out there. Absolutely. It's just, it's great to see that he is still, looks like he's having a good time and it looks yep. like he has years of good racing ahead of him, which I am and, very, and I, very I really like that there is a clear good, well, there appears to be a good relationship between him and Esteban and I think yeah. Esteban is only improving because of it. I mean, Esteban's sitting at eighth in the driver's standing, but I just think that Ocon is having a really good season, and I think that they seem to be working very well together. Like, today, there was, like, a driver's order swap. Seemed no problem. There was no, you know, we didn't need to hear it on the radio. It was just, like, (laughs) we're on different strategies today, and we're going to let Ocon through, right? That's just how it seemed to go. It's just, like, I don't know. They seem to be a really good team, and I think Alpine is clearly, as we said, benefiting from that. I would not have assumed... Uh, Alpine to be having a better season than McLaren yeah. and we said while they're tied right now I would say that they are having a better season than McLaren because yeah, yeah. Alpine are higher while McLaren is lower yeah uh, McLaren like when they're scoring points it's just like oh finally oh we were able to get something yeah. where Alpine are just like out there just racking them in just yep yep the uh yeah, the moment really on track when Alonso was going past Yuki Yuki pushed him onto the grass he literally had two wheels on the grass pulls on as he's going into the braking he's like finger wagging at yuki yes that was that was so good what a legend man oh yeah it was so i'm good. so happy we got the on board when he was <laughs> yeah. doing that sometimes it's just like serendipity right we get like these beautiful moments and he's just like no 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 because apparently they have a pretty good relationship too i think yuki oh really and fernando I, th- I think i think i heard this once that like yuki loves fernando like he, he, like he really looked up to him. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that. I think I'm, unless I'm thinking of somebody else. It was a terrific moment. Just 
I mean, again, I, I think it's easy to understate how difficult it is to drive these cars on this track with these huge elevation changes. You can't see through so much of the track. And you see Fernando completely just sort of on it, on the grass. And he's not even made it through the corner. He's literally like on the brake pedal and whacking a finger. Like, what? Like, we, we cannot lose Fernando Alonso. We cannot. Like, we need to keep him in Formula One as long as we possibly can. I just absolutely yep. love it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's really great to see, right? Because it kind of like, I get sad about Seb, right? Yeah. Because <sighs> I want to see him in a better better yeah. place. I mean, it's honestly, it's the same I felt for Raikkonen too. Yeah. Like, they made me sad because there were these like legends and they're just in cars that can't do the business for them. Yeah, and Seb had a rough weekend, right? So I think he mm -hmm. got spun around twice, twice, right? Which, But I think, no, I think one was in the sprint. One, one was sprint, the race? One was race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I think it was Pierre who tagged him, and it was very mm -hmm. clearly Pierre's fault. Also, Pierre had just a weird race because not only did he tag um, Seb, but then uh, there was some nonsense about like he took his pit stop but didn't serve his penalty. But yep. I, I never got the clarification on that because they said that like, oh, it was in, under investigation and they let it go. So I don't know if there's some mitigating circumstances. I don't actually know yeah. what happened there. But regardless, even I think without potentially taking that penalty, he was still nowhere near the points. Like Alpha Tauri, they've had sort of a very much a roller coaster kind of season. But mm -hmm. yeah, it's 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 not looking great for for Pierre, I'll say. It just it's it's uh, this, well, I guess for Yuki either since they're like ridiculous crash last uh, last week. But yeah, mm -hmm. it was uh, <clears throat> yeah, I'm sure there's some some uncomfortable conversations, especially now that Pierre has just re-signed his contract, which he may or may not have actually wanted to do. Uh, he's like, oh, great. I'm looking forward to trying to get out of here at some point. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'm ready for a tire change. You ready for a tire change? Yeah, I'm ready, Already? For, I'm ready to box. Yeah, okay. I'm ready to box. All, all right, hold we on. Got, Let's, I got I to get us ready. We're going for a one-stop. Okay, we're right going now. for a one-stop. All right, mm -hmm. ready, set, and go. This episode of The Back Markers is brought to you by Mint Mobile. Families can come in all shapes and sizes, and the variety isn't always reflected in the big wireless company's family plans. And that is why Mint Mobile is shaking up the wireless industry with their brand-new modern family plan. Every line starts at 15 bucks a month, and you only need two lines to get started. No matter how big or small your family is, you deserve to save on your wireless service. For people who don't like getting their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers their premium wireless service of 15 bucks a month, and they'll give you the best rate whether you're buying for one person or for their family and their family plan which as i will remind you starts at just two lines all plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5g network plus this is my favorite feature mint mobile's modern family plans let you mix and match data plans so everyone gets the right amount of data that's right for them i know this is the same for me right some people use it more some people use it less and so it doesn't make sense for everybody to have the exact same thing you can have a pool and you can mix and match and spread it around i think that's really really great you can use your own phone with any mint mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts so switch to mint mobile and get premium wireless service to get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month including the modern family plan go to mintmobile.com slash backmarkers that's m-i-n-t-m-o-b-i-l-e.com slash backmarkers go there now and cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash backmarkers a thanks to mint mobile for their support of the backmarkers and relay fm time Mike, how okay. do you think you did? I think I was faster than last time. So my previous Mint Mobile read, my last one was 1 minute 42.84 seconds. I am happy to say 129.6. Oh, 
Ooh, look Pretty at quick. that. 129.62. Mike, you've been hitting the, the gym. You've been, yep. you've been working. I've got those gains. you got to work I've out the vocal cords. I've been doing tongue cords. massages. <laughs> yeah. well, I don't like that. I don't like that. No, thank you. <laughs> well, that was a bad thing to say. Can't we'll, take that one back. Well, right now. All right. Put this to the side. Yeah, of course, of course. Carlos Sainz. That was, okay. So these days when you see an engine failure, usually, you know, you see a little bit of smoke or oftentimes you don't see anything. They just, you know, they, they lose their gear shift or something, right? Um, Carlos Sainz's engine was a grenade in the back of his car. The fact of like yep. uh, when they were watching the TV broadcast, he, you know, comes to a stop. You know, he was actually about to pass Max. He's under DRS. You see a puff of smoke. He tries to, you know, Is do the right thing. Is that smoke? Because it looks like liquid sometimes. I can't work it out if it's like a vapor well, or... Like is could it is it fuel or is it just smoke? I, it's like this white plume, right? It just it's, fires out the back. Normally, I would think it's smoke, but obviously that smoke is probably like some kind of burning oil or something. But right. in this case, you saw sparks. You saw like it was literally the engine was exploding, and like mm-hmm. not only when he slowed down a little bit, like a chunk of the engine like blew a hole in the engine cover. I but know, right? It was it was a scary moment, especially like I don't know. I think especially since the uh, some of the big Haas crashes where you know the cars have been on fire and been split apart and stuff, I think the TV directors have been a lot more careful of what they show on the live feed versus when they cut away. They cut away as Carlos is coming to a stop. His car is on fire. You see him trying to get out of the car. The car is rolling yep. backward, and they cut yep. away. I was like, this looks horrible. And of course, they cut back immediately, you know, like 10 seconds later, and you see, you know, Carlos is out of the car. But there's a moment there where, like, the car, there's literally engine exploding out the side. It's rolling backward on proper fire. And you see Carlos trying to get out of the car and realizing his car is, like, rolling back on fire. Like, that was a scary moment. Obviously, just gutting for Carlos just because he mm-hmm. was absolutely on par for easy p2 but um you know that was uh, man you just don't see engine grenades like that mm-hmm. in formula one very often these days i mean back in the I old mean, days I, I don't that know, was every other, like other. <laughs> that it seemed i was like looking at just i don't it felt like the stewards weren't reacting quickly enough yeah like there was just this one guy who like picked up and put a fire extinguisher down like the car was on fire yeah. like I, I understand it's supposed to be a very complicated scenario but like it, he was having to call them out like it was yeah it was <laughs> it was rough i mean i understand right people are like frightened in that moment yeah. i did say well they should have got george in you know he would have gonna <laughs> george would have taken care of it george would have gone and taken it right yeah <laughs> George would have fixed it. Just get get old Georgie in there. I, I don't know. I mean, my thought, and it's just a thought, maybe it was a thing where the marshals, when they saw the car start rolling backward, maybe they kind of had a moment of like, what, what do we do a, a flaming, yeah. backward rolling car? And Thankfully, someone got a wedge, but it didn't help. Like, the, it, wa- it what, rolled over the wedge. What it looked so. like, and again, I only saw the replay once, what it looked like was a marshal literally grabbed and like held the tire to ca- keep mm-hmm. the car from rolling, which... Uh, shout out to the marshals as always, but yeah, it was a scary moment. Obviously, another spectacular engine failure from Ferrari, and then yep. to make things even worse, during the virtual safety car, almost immediately, Charles Leclerc is like, "My pe- my throttle doesn't feel right." Yeah, and you know, you figure like, "Oh, your teammate just blew up or whatever." Oh, maybe something. Uh-huh. Oh no, he had to literally. And again, I'm sure we'll hear more about it after the race, but it seemed like he was actually using his foot to like pull the throttle back. I know on the yeah. on uh, the telemetry, it showed that his throttle never went down below like 10, 20 percent. So he spent the last uh, six, seven, eight laps of the race or so having to 
smash the throttle down, brake with his right foot, pull that throttle pedal back up from the bottom because it was getting stuck for some reason or another. What a heroic drive, man. I was, talk about spicy at the end of that race, man. Mm-hmm. Woo! Uh, I, yeah. I mean, Ferrari obviously have uh, some concerns after that explosion, but they've got to feel so relieved that Charles was able to actually bring that one in because they really did absolutely have that race under control. It was going to be a one-two. Absolutely. Right? And and I think it was unknown which I think which order that one-two was going to be in. Science was, was putting in a great race, right? You never know, right? Like, but yep. it looked like it was going to be a Ferrari 1-2. They were both running really well. They were running way better than the Red Bulls. And again, I think they said this is Science's fourth DNF. Oh, has it really been four already? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's... Right? That's rough, right? Uh, yeah. Actually, Sherlock in the chat is a great point. Uh, the drive reminded him of Senna's Brazil in sixth gear. Absolutely, right? Like, the fact that he, like, just imagine how difficult it is, right, to drive these cars. You know, sure, he's got a little gap, but you've got Max Verstappen two, three, four seconds behind you. That is not a comfortable place to be as your teammate's engine just exploded into flames and you were trying to use your foot to pull the throttle up every time. Like, all it takes is for that to get stuck just a tiny bit. You lose control of the back of the car. You go too deep. Your brakes overheat because instead of the brakes doing the normal thing, they're, you're braking into the corner while the engine is still pushing you forward. He was having problems with getting gear shifts because the car couldn't always downshift because the throttle was being pushed in. And obviously, you have to let off the throttle. Like So much of that. Like I am constantly impressed with Leclerc's just ability and whatnot. But it's moments like this that really show just the adaptability. Like, you don't mm-hmm. train for something like that to happen. You have to figure that out and adapt to it on the fly under this immense yep. pressure at Red Bull's home race. I cannot say enough good things about Leclerc and the way that he handled that whole situation. Because, man, I think there are very few people on the grid who could have pulled off the win the way that he did. Uh, just to correct myself, it was Ferrari's fourth. They both had two. Okay, okay, that sounds a little bit better, even though still that's a lot of DNFs, but man, I, it's one of those things where like, it was a terrific race, it was really, really sort of spicy all the way through, but man, just, you gotta think that like, a win like that is gonna be one of those ones that you're gonna remember forever, right? It just like, you know, there was a a stat I actually didn't realize until uh, they were toward the end of the race. Uh, I think one of the commentators mentioned, uh, this is the first time Leclerc's ever won without starting from pole, which is a weird stat, but I guess it makes sense. Uh, But yeah, I think rarely, well, I say this, but Red Bull were okay, but I think they just way overestimated how much deg they had. And Ferrari were just like confident. Like they knew that maybe the temperature was different or something. They just were confident and they just owned the race. Yeah, I mean, I think they were saying like Leclerc was incredibly confident going into this that he was going to yeah. have a good result. Yeah, I, I think they said that, that it was expected the cooler conditions benefited the Ferrari uh, than in a way that this, it didn't in the sprint. So I, I think yeah, but Ferrari, Ferrari should have dominated today. Yeah, uh, but they ended up handing a podium place to Mercedes. 
Yeah, yeah. Which, to be fair, uh, Mercedes certainly got lucky because I think Checo and Carlos Port have both been well up in there. Mm-hmm. So I think kind of mm-hmm. some of that was gifted. But again, as much as Mercedes has had a rough season, they have been fortunate, generally speaking. That you know, I don't think I think Lewis is the only car who's not had a DNF this year. I think. Uh, don't quote me on that, but I believe Lewis I has been able to finish um, every race so far. I don't think that's accurate, but we'll check. But yeah, but regardless, nope. Uh, no. Nope. Okay, he had a DNF in Italy. Oh, okay. Never mind then. I take that back. But regardless, I think it's been one of those impressive things where Mercedes has had solid dependability compared to pretty much mm-hmm. everyone else. And they've also been very lucky. You know, obviously, George, through that first chunk of the season, had a lot of luck and safety cars and whatnot. But regardless, it's been a thing of like, even though the car hasn't always been there, the luck and the drivers have kind of made the difference in a way that the Red Bulls and especially the Ferraris have just been absolutely pummeled by just engine failures or just bad luck or whatever the case is. So uh, props to Lewis and props to George for being able to pull out really the maximum and more out of the package that they got. But it's certainly clear that Mercedes have made a step. Like They are not Mm -hmm. fully competitive, but they are getting closer. It's no longer you're seeing them bouncing all over the place and everything like that. Like It seems like they're really starting to get their heads around what is wrong with that car. Yeah. I think that this weekend showed that they were seem very disappointed about the fact that they lost both cars. They were feeling very confident. Lewis was was performing very well in qualifying up until that moment. It looked like he was uh, he could have really gotten something special out of that car. He was he was flying along. Um, I had a question for you. Yeah. Typically, where is best of the rest? Is it th- third or fourth? Uh, usually, it's just whoever's not. Well, it's a little bit nebulous. Typically, yeah. it's been you know the top three teams since they've traditionally been way, way far ahead. I think it also sometimes applies to the teams who can't fight for the championship. But I would say traditionally, it's whatever team is like maybe like fourth in the championship behind Red Bull, Ferrari, right. and Mercedes. But because that's I, what I was nebulous. wondering, like this time, because Red Bull, Ferrari, and Mercedes are actually pretty close together, and then there's a massive drop-off, right? So you've got Red Bull on 359, Ferrari on 303, and Mercedes on 237. Like, the gap between Red Bull and Ferrari and Ferrari and Mercedes is actually pretty close. I think it's it's like 60 points from uh, Red Bull to Ferrari, and then about 70-something points or 60-something points for Ferrari to Mercedes. But then it goes down to 81 points to McLaren and Alpine. It is a huge, huge difference. So I was just wondering, because I was thinking, like, to me, I would assume it would be whoever gets fourth place this year would kind of be that, because they they are, like, then it goes down, and and there's, like, this huge drop-off, and then it's a close... Uh, differences between the rest of the teams again. Yeah. Um, well, I think so it was kind of like that last year because, you know, Ferrari were very much in that sort of upper midfield. So it was like, you know, everyone was kind of fighting over who would uh, land in third. Obviously, the top three are very much nailed on at this point. Slight chance that maybe Red Bull fall off or Ferrari pick up or something. But like, I think what we're looking at for the uh, constructors is probably pretty accurate for that top three. Uh, Mike, I got to ask. This is a really mm. tough one for me, even though we actually did have a fair few bag markers. But it's literally, <laughs> I just realized, the top five were the only five. Uh, they were the only ones on the lead lap. From Mick Schumacher and sixth on, everyone was at least one lap down. Um, who's your favorite back marker of the race? Well, it's, we, in, I would now be double awarding him, so I have to think about this in future races, but it would be Mick Schumacher. He was quite literally a back marker, mm-hmm. even though mm-hmm. he finished P6. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, as well, if I was going to say, I would say Lando. I think Lando did a good job today. I think he's he struggled a bunch. 
um, and scoring seventh after taking the penalty too. Yeah. Um, I, I think he had a good race and he was involved in uh, my favorite moment of the race, which I'll get to in a second. Uh, but who would you put in as your uh, back marker? So I would say I would agree, agree with Mick, but I feel like P6 is so strong. I'm going to break my rule of breaking the rules. I'm going to actually give it to Valtteri. It. Valtteri had a, I think he huh. started from the pit lane. or Yeah, yeah I think yeah. he started from pit lane. Um, and had a quiet but very, very respectable race. Made it up to the points, TBD. I'm not sure nope. if Alonso has he Alonso. He, well... I haven't got, we still don't know about Alonso, but yeah. he didn't make it in. Because I was actually considering Valtteri for my underperformer of the race. Really? Okay, yes, why? Yes, because uh, Alonso made it up, made it up further. Um, and so did George. Like, I would say yeah, that, like, sure. there were a few uh, drivers today who got penalties, who started from the pit lane, you know, like, who who, who really flew through the field. And I, d I don't feel like Valtteri made as much gains as some of his compatriots there yeah yeah yeah. i know certainly he was not uh actively a part of a lot of the the shenanigans i feel like he had a very quiet race but mm -hmm. anytime you start at the literal the pit lane at the beginning of the race and you're able to get close to the points i feel like it yep. was a respectable performance how about underperformer of the race so i wanted to talk a little bit about pierre gasly today um, mm, yep. Because I think last year, you know, I was really considering Pierre as a star. Yeah. You know, like, you know, he is in a, in a, in an, you know, he's just really pulling him home. And I was like, honestly, was like, I don't know if he's going to say it, Alpha Terry. Like, I think he might go somewhere higher. You know, maybe they'll bring him to McLaren or something like that, you know? Um, and I, th this year, Pierre is, I don't see him. Yeah. You know, like, we're not seeing him. I, I, you know, he's far back in most races. He's, you know, like today, causing incidents. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't, we're not seeing that same Pierre Gasly that we saw in the previous two seasons. Um, yeah. Pierre is currently at P13 in the Drivers' Championship, picking up 16 points. He scored points in three races this year. That's it. <sighs> Yeah, That's, it, that doesn't feel like the Pierre of 2021. Uh, I mean, I do think the AlphaTauri car was a bit better overall last year. I think they've had a couple of flashes where they're decent. But yeah, I mean, uh, obviously there have been things like the, the incident with Yuki, which is you know absolutely Yuki's fault. But even so, like, you're right. He just hasn't been fully on it this year. And I, I wonder because there's a lot of conversation about what's going on behind the scenes. It seems like he probably wants to try to move on, but um, he kind of was just like, oh no, he's still under contract with AlphaTauri. He's signed for another year. And I almost kind of wonder like, is his motivation dipping? Is he just needing a little bit of a, a just a break and a reset? I, I don't know what it is. Or I do is think it the car? I, I think it's that. Also, I think yeah. Yuki has stepped up the game a little bit. So I think all of these things combined have made, sort of taken a little bit of the shine off of Pierre. I still think he's a great driver, but it's one of those things where, like, when he's doing well and he's got that momentum, he keeps going and he keeps going. But you look at, you know, what happened when he went to Red Bull, right? Like, he sort of, 
got down a little bit like a negative spiral, right? And was never able to really recover. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder if that's a thing where he has maybe not fully gotten over that and really been able to, again, like we said earlier, find that confidence in the car to really get 100% out of it and always be on top of it. Because like the instant with with, uh, Seb today, that was just sloppy. Like that was just straight sloppy. Seb gave him almost two cars worth of, uh, of room and he still came in on him. Like, it's just that kind of stuff. And again, like, like last week, you know, we got to remember Pierre was the one who kind of kicked off that first incident by kind of jumping through the front. Now, mind you, I think he had the space that time, but again, it's like these kind of incidents keep happening. And when you have a little bit of that bad luck and you have a little bit of that sort of slightly questionable judgment, it can turn into a snowball really quickly. What was your favorite thing from the race today? Oh, that five-way fight, man! That was oh that was God. wild. Like it, that was one of the best things I've seen. Like it, just, fun. just like Who last week. So it was the Hosses, I think Zhou Guan Yu, yep, Lando, and was it uh, George? No, it was Alonzo. Is it Alonzo? Yeah, yeah. Because it yeah. was just like it started off as one person t- t- overtaking somebody else, yep, and then all of a sudden there were five of them, <laughs> and they were like. Anywhere between three to five, like in a row. Yeah. Uh, it was, that was beautiful racing. Everyone stayed really clean. You know, they were giving each other just the right amount of room, but still making it exciting. It was like ballet. It was a really just a fantastic moment in the race today. Yeah. Absolutely brought me straight back to Silverstone as far as just seeing these cars, being able to really sort of slice and dice, seeing everyone be respectful and give themselves time, but also be opportunistic and kind of hop on those things when you can mm-hmm. was great to see. I'm just, I, I'm going to say, I feel like every single race, so I apologize, but I love these 2022 cars. It is just That's like so, good, man. so many yep. of these great moments we've had this season, we would have not have had with those previous cars. Like the reason that last year's season was so terrific was entirely down to Max and Lewis and how close mm-hmm. they were matched. But the rest of the field, we didn't see five-way fights like ever. We hardly saw like, it was just DRS flybys and stuff. But you know, today we saw, you know, like Lewis passing like weird parts of the track and whatnot. Like these, it's just, it just energized the whole field. And even at a boring race without a ton of craziness going on there's always something to watch there's always some reason to be on the edge of your seat versus just sitting around and watching you know the the red bulls go you know 50 seconds up the road and take a nap or something like it's really really great to see yeah i don't really feel like we're getting a lot of that i mean there is there a lot of races they have like uh, there's maybe three or four uh and they're on their own and then there's a gap and then there's everybody else but last year and then the year before, sometimes you just get the, the first place holder is, is 35 seconds ahead. And it's like, yep. this isn't, you know, yeah. like at least this year, we're getting two sets of fights. You know, you're getting like the front fight and you get in the midfield, but they're both thrilling to watch. Yes. And sometimes it's like, we're not even sure which one we should be showing you because there's <laughs> always something going on. Yeah. Like another thing I really loved today, there was an over, like, I think it was uh, Leclerc's first overtake of, of Max, mm-hmm. and he, he basically just slotted the car right in front of him. Like he had yeah. just the right amount of room and he took it. And it was, yeah, it's just stuff like that. It's just, it's just really beautiful. And, and seeing again today, like overtakes without DRS. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Because it, it then opens up, as you say, like for these weird parts of the track for overtakes to occur just because the cars can get so close to each other. I'm just constantly amazed. Like seeing a Formula One car in person, and mind you, I've never seen the 2022s, but I've seen the, the previous generation sort of, you know, fairly up close. And it's one thing to watch them on TV. It's another thing to see how 
big they are in person, right? So mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with like, a, I don't know, like a Chevy Suburban, right? It's this massive, massive SUV. It's pretty common in the United States. That's about how long a Formula One car is, right? Like they're two meters wide. And those wings, like from where you're laying down in the car, like you're not sitting. Like a Formula One driver is laying down in that cockpit. So like, you know, it's such a, like you can see so little. You've got these huge wheel fairings. You've got the wheels in the way. Like you see so little. The fact that they can slice and dice like that with these massive wings that are like, you know, feet and feet in front of them and they're just not constantly just ripping wings off to me is incredible. Like obviously a Formula One driver is should be one of, if not the best drivers in the entire world. So, you know, give them some props that they, you know, they, they obviously are, are good drivers. But like to me, it just constantly impresses me at how mm-hmm. the car control at 180 miles an hour, th- there's not more incidents like, you know, we We've seen, obviously, you know, from time to time, but there's so many clean races and there's so many just ridiculously great scraps. Like just, I think it's worth just a moment, just kind of appreciating what these guys are able to do yep. with this machinery, which, you know, is designed to race, but it's, it's not easy to do that by any means. I would definitely leave my wing on the front. I would, I, I go out, look, I might be able to, to take the car 200 meters, Mike, but I probably wouldn't make it too much farther. If someone was around me, I'd lose something. I definitely lose something. Oh. <laughs> By the way, I've had multiple people contact me to tell me that there's absolutely no way you could start an F1 car. What? Who are these people? Are you talking to Otmar? Are, are you talking to, to Mattia? No, I don't, I don't Where do you think Bono's been? You know what I mean? Oh, me and Bono oh, have been, we've been hanging out this weekend and he's uh, like, that Austin Evans, he, can't, he couldn't start a car. <laughs> Look, More, man. I've had people... People that, you know, that I, friends of mine who have been watching the sport for longer than me and you, and they're like, there's no way you could do it. I just the want thing you is, to know. And also, is, I know, for, you know, in F1 2022, I have to hold the little clutch button. You know, I, I'm not sure you could, I'm not sure you could make I, it work. What are the, the desired, uh, the revs, you know, what RPMs here, need to get here's, to? Do here's you the know? thing. The more I hear this, the more I would just spend hours and hours practicing on some mm-hmm. stupid simulator or whatever. I, I feel like this is now like a personal challenge. Uh, yes, it uh, is. A hundred percent. It's a, it's a, I'm throwing down the gauntlet on you. But you like, can't, you could not start an F1 car. Here's the thing, though. You, regular people can drive F1 cars. They do events mm-hmm. like this sometimes. Obviously, mm-hmm. they're typically the V8 cars. They're, like, slightly modified, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. But, like, mm-hmm. they do let regular people drive F1 cars. If a regular person with a little bit of practice could do it, I'm a regular person. I could do it. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty confident. Maybe not first go. It might take me a little bit of practice. But I'm pretty sure I could do it, Mike. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. I could do it. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not convinced you could. I mean, because you said that we're not talking about a modified one. If they've modified it to make it easier to start, then that doesn't count. It's right? just going to find the clutch. In this conversation. It's, it's a little paddle. You just you find the clutch point and you just give it some revs. Maybe a little. Oh, look, I'm not going to say it would be a smooth start. I might, I might, it might be a little, little bit much. I could do it. Hey, give me, give me, give me five tries. I could do it. Five tries. Five right. tries. That's fine. Write it down. Five tries. Five tries. I'll do it. <laughs> And if not, then at least I got to pretend to drive an F1 car. So I, I, it's a win-win for me, but I'm pretty confident I could do it, Mike. I'm pretty confident. Well, it was a win-win for Charles Leclerc today again, too. <laughs> I was happy to see. I don't know in recent memory if I've seen a driver so happy to be on yeah. the podium. He had his little smile. He was a very happy boy today with Charles Leclerc. I am so happy for him, and I'm so happy for mm-hmm. this race. It was just... 
after last race, which was absolutely terrific. I was like, oh, you know what? Watch the sprint. Eh, it's going to be kind of boring. But it wasn't. It was really just a super, super interesting race between strategy, between on-track action, between who's mm. going to win, between who's going to get the points, between Mick. I mean, so many good parts of this race. Hopefully, this all carries across to... Uh, what might be the last Paul Ricard race for a while, right? So, because I know that there's not a confirmed return date for France next hmm. year. I didn't I think... know that. Did they ever settle Monaco? Because uh, Monaco no. was the same deal, right? Yeah, so I don't believe okay. Monaco officially has a date on the calendar next year. It seems like it likely will, but uh, Paul Ricard it's gonna may be 18 get races next year. Right? <laughs> They're just like, <laughs> we add Las Vegas and then we lose the rest. That's, that's what we're looking for in oh, 2023. Yeah, yeah. But anyway. Uh, I like Paul Ricard. It's a beautiful track. It's a good track. I, I don't it's know beautiful. how great the racing is. Um, but yeah, all those weird like painted lines. It looks it's the red, cool. The red and, and, and blue, uh, I, I really like it. Look, I, I always in my mind like imagine it as oh that's surely the american track yeah but it's Look, not Mike, it's i'm like, just okay. happy i'm just happy that the french have embraced the red white and blue of america and i'm painted their entire racetrack oh to celebrate the united states of america uh so oh. thank you to everyone in france for adopting that we all really appreciate it <laughs> oh my god <laughs> You know, you know. So I'm looking forward to to the mid season swap out of my teammate here, which is inevitably going to happen. Uh, thanks for listening to this episode of the Backmarkers. We're going to be back in two weeks for the French Grand Prix. Vive French la France is what Grand I'll Prix. say. No, vive la France is what I'll say. Uh, say bonjour to Austin Evans. Uh, au revoir, maybe, instead. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. We are at BackmarkersLive. You can go to BackmarkersLive for the video version of this show and Backmarkers.fm to get the audio version if you're looking for either audio or video in your life and you have one or the other. Uh, goodbye, everyone. Let freedom ring. <laughs> <laughs>